dear friend and co-leader and all-round good guy, Andy, to, um, to come up and speak. Father, I pray that the words that Andy brings today will be directly from you, that you will inspire his heart and his words will inspire us to uh, come closer to you, to know you better and to walk with you all through our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Am I on? Yes, I am on. Good, good. So we're continuing this morning in our series on holiness. I had no idea how well that last song was going to fit in with some of what I've got to say this morning. Some of the words in that last song, uh, well, you'll see in a little bit. But the, the theme this morning is holy thinking. But it's all about us growing in holiness. So to begin with, I wanted to... First thing I wanted to do was um, get over the obligatory dog bit. Um, you know that following in Steve's footsteps, I have to have a dog reference uh, in the talk. So this is the dog reference. And um, this is a little bit of an aside. Uh, but as a leadership team, we, we met together uh, a little while ago. And I have to tell you that there was some disagreement amongst us. Uh, and it's sad to say that we couldn't come to agreement. And I need to share this with you. So we were talking uh, about animals. And Steve, as you know, loves his dogs. And Steve said to me, thing is, Andy, dogs have souls, but cats don't. <laughs> I know. I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> and, you know, as a vet, as a cat specialist, um, that hurt deeply. <laughs> and then Pete said, well, it doesn't matter, because neither of them have souls. And um, as I left that meeting, I said I would pray for my brothers. Uh, so I, I hope that you'll join me this week in praying that the scales will fall from their eyes, that they will see that... Cats really are the superior species. <laughs> and that God loves all of them. <laughs> Heretic. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> right. There, there is a kind of tenuous link with the, the rest of the talk this morning there. Uh, it's a little bit tenuous, but you'll see as we go along. So I, I wanted to... Psalm 36. Just wanted to read a few verses from this Psalm of David. And David says, your love, Lord, your love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Continue your love to those who know you. Your righteousness to the upright in heart. 
fantastic verses, um, and they say a huge amount. This year, um, I, I'm working through the Bible again in one year, uh, as I have done for the past few years, but I've taken a different way of doing it from um, this particular thing uh, called the Bible Project. Uh, this has uh, an app for your smartphone, iPad, or whatever, and they have materials online as well. And the thing about the way that this has been put together, it's been put together by uh, some Christians in California, in fact, but the, the thing about this is that they try to look at the whole of Scripture in terms of God's big plan. And so there's quite a lot of uh, material and bits and pieces that go along with it that try to explain everything in terms of the big, big story that goes on. And it's really quite a nice way of doing it. And along with daily readings, they also produce some videos and some other online materials to go with this. And the reason that I'm sharing this is that they have produced one video which is about holiness. And it helps to kind of put holiness in context a little bit. But essentially what this uh, video is trying to explain is a little bit about holiness. And it's contrasting holiness in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant with holiness that we experience now through Jesus. And it's trying to explain that under the Old Covenant people had to go through a huge amount to make themselves ritually pure, sacrifices for covering over of sin, to be able to begin to approach God. Anything that was sinful, anything that was impure that they came in contact with, essentially made, made, made it impossible for them to be in the presence of this holy God that we have. Being in the presence of anything impure, being sinful, means that we can't enter into the presence of God because God is so holy, so different, so pure, so perfect. So they had to go through all of these rituals to make themselves pure for covering over a sin, etc. And then the, the video makes the point that when Ezekiel found himself in the temple, in the presence of God, Ezekiel was, was petrified because Ezekiel knew that he was unclean, and yet there he was in the temple, in the presence of God. And there was this angel, this seraphim, that brought the burning coal and touched the lips of Ezekiel. And that made him pure. And that was a kind of vision of what Jesus has done for us. Because when Jesus came, he started to reverse all of that. Instead of Jesus being in the world and the uncleanliness and the sinfulness and the impurity of the world making Jesus impure, everything that he touched became holy. He went around healing people. He went around forgiving sins. And so it was a complete reversal. He started to spread the holiness of God into the world. And the ultimate expression of that was when he died on the cross and when he rose again. Because through that, 
Jesus makes us holy. Jesus makes us pure. Jesus makes us sinless. And we can come freely into the presence of God. And that's incredible, isn't it? That is absolutely incredible. And that's part of what holiness is all about. Part of what holiness is about is what Jesus has done for us. He has made us pure. He has made us able to come into the presence of God with no barrier whatsoever into the presence of the awesome, incredible God. And we can just come here and we can say, Father, come into your presence. Speak to me. And that's just awesome. This is uh, Hildegard of Bingen, um, St. Hildegard, who was a German nun, um, lived over a thousand years ago. This is a quote from her, a really great quote, actually. The soul is kissed by God in its innermost regions. With inner yearning, grace and blessing are bestowed. It's a yearning to take on God's gentle yoke. It's a yearning to give oneself to God's way. I think that's a beautiful way of expressing holy thinking. We've been kissed by the king. We've been kissed by the king. Jesus has come and he's forgiven us. He's made us pure. We can come into God's presence. But the result of that is a yearning, a desire to take on God's gentle yoke to give ourselves completely to God, to see things from God's perspective. And that's what holy thinking is all about, seeing things from God's perspective. So Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11. This is one of the several occasions where God says, For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. And in 1 Peter 1, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. So I don't know what your idea of holiness is. When you think about being holy, what's your idea? Is it that, that moment of perfection where perhaps you're on your own, you're sitting on top of a mountain or something, and you know that, that perfect moment where you experience the presence of God? And I guess you know, we all have those moments, like sitting on a cloud, but that isn't what holiness is really all about. And I think sometimes the language that we use tends to mean that we separate things. We separate the spiritual from the secular. You know, we think about worldly things. We think about things of the flesh. We think about secular things. We think about us being in the world. We think about our, our working day, our every day. And that contrasts with spiritual, heavenly things in the world, but not of the world. Our quiet time. 
And there's a tendency for us in our minds to separate these things. And so we think of the spiritual as being something separate from what we are doing the rest of the time, the rest of our day. So the language that we use sometimes gets in the way. If you go back to Leviticus, and, and Levit- in Leviticus, four times God says in Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. And when you look at Leviticus, I think it's really interesting because there's a whole bunch of stuff there about how we need to purify ourselves, how we need forgiveness of sins to be entering into the presence of God. And there's a whole bunch of stuff about rituals that help or helped the Israelites to achieve that under the old covenant. And all of that has been removed from us, right? All of that has been taken care of because of what Jesus did, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We don't have to worry about all of those rituals. We just have to turn to Jesus and accept the forgiveness and accept the righteousness of Jesus that God wants to give us. So all of that stuff is taken care of. But that's not everything that God is talking about when he said to the Israelites, be holy because I am holy. And God doesn't say to the Israelites, be perfect because I'm perfect. He doesn't say, be pure because I'm pure. Because God knows that the Israelites can't do that. We can't do that. We can't be sinless because God is sinless. He says, be holy because I am holy. And this goes partly back to the whole definition of holiness. Being different. Being unique. Being separate. So there's an aspect of holiness that has been achieved for us by Christ that could not be achieved in any other way. But God is also saying to the Israelites, live differently. Because the rest of Leviticus is all about really, really practical stuff. God's telling them how as a nation they are going to be God's holy nation They're going to be set apart, but they're going to act differently. And there are laws, some of them, which we find a little bit hard to comprehend, but a lot of them are just radical ways that God is saying, you are going to be different. As a nation, you are going to be unique. You are going to treat people differently. In Israel, my chosen nation, women are going to be important. In Israel, my chosen nation... The poor are going to be looked after. And if you look through Leviticus and all of those laws, and yeah, some of them, yeah, we have difficulty understanding, partly because we don't have the historical context. But a lot of it is about God saying to the Israelites, be holy, be different, be a little bit like me, a little bit like me. Think differently, act differently, behave differently. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to take a really, really practical look at thinking differently. And I want to take just a a few examples. Those of you who were here last week, 
We talked about stuff that we don't normally talk about in church. I'm going to talk about some really practical stuff this morning that we don't often talk about in church, but I think is actually really important. First thing is global warming. Global warming. Now, when we had the first talk on holiness a few weeks ago, uh, one of the things Steve said was, when we're talking about holiness, we're not going to mention Donald Trump. Well... We are going to mention Donald Trump, and I apologize, sort of. But Donald Trump said, or said, tweeted one of his famous tweets, the concept of global warming was created by and for the Chinese in order to make the U.S. manufacturing non-competitive. Well done, John, Donald Trump. Another enlightened comment from Donald Trump. Global warming is a huge problem. You know, for hundreds and thousands of years, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has been fluctuating up and down a little bit, but hasn't reached levels that have caused any real problems. Just in the past 50 years or so, because of what we have done, there is a massive amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, causing or contributing to global warming. That's a big problem. We're all aware of the melting of the ice caps, the fact that glaciers are in retreat now, that globally sea levels are rising. They're predicted to rise anything up to perhaps another two to four feet in coming decades. Global warming has a massive impact on world events, on weather patterns. And the problem is, it's the poorest in the world that are most affected by hurricanes, tornadoes, rising sea levels. Is that important for us? What does God say about it? Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. An evening passed. Morning came and that marked the sixth day. It's God's world. It's God's creation. Do you think God has no view on what we are doing to his creation? It's something we should, if, <laughs> if we're serious about holy thinking, if God thinks it's important the way we act and the things we do, shouldn't we have a view on that? Shouldn't we be thinking about our own carbon footprint? Shouldn't we be thinking about how as a church we should be standing up and saying we need to look after the environment? Unless you've been living in some sort of bubble over the past few months, you would not have failed to notice all the talk that's been going on about plastic in the ocean. This is a huge environmental problem. A huge environmental problem. About 80% of the debris in the oceans is plastic. 
there's estimated to be 46,000 pieces of plastic in every single square mile of the ocean covering the earth. It's estimated that fish living in the middle depths of the ocean are eating up to 24,000 tons of plastic every single year. And it's estimated that eating plastic is killing a million seabirds every year, <coughs> hundreds of thousands of sharks, turtles, dolphins, and whales. It's shocking what we are doing to the planet. Does holy thinking have an impact on that? Of course it should do. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. It's really practical stuff. As Christians, shouldn't we be speaking out? Shouldn't we have a voice? If we are thinking differently, if we are behaving differently, shouldn't we be careful about the way we treat God's planet? Recycling? Saying no to single-use plastic? See, I think this is exactly what it means to think holy, to be different, to look at the world through God's eyes. Now, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable at all, but I wonder what you're having when you get back home for lunch. Might, might be feeling hungry looking at that picture. Nice bit of roast chicken. And I'm, I'm not trying to make political points here. I'm honestly not trying to make political points here. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with a nice bit of roast chicken. Right? Nice roast dinner, nothing wrong with that at all. And of course, we, we tend to think or have this picture in our mind of these lovely animals that lead a lovely life before they're killed and we eat them. And trust me, I'm not saying there is anything wrong with eating meat. Nothing wrong with eating meat at all. What about animal welfare, though? What about animal welfare? How often do we think about the welfare of the animal before we consume it? Interestingly, in, in British law, animal welfare is considered important. There are what's called the five freedoms that are kind of enshrined in British law. Uh, these are actually important freedoms. Freedom from hunger and thirst, so we need to look after animals properly. Freedom from discomfort, freedom from pain, injury, and disease, freedom to express normal behavior for the animal, freedom from fear and distress. These are five principles, the five freedoms, and they're actually really, really important. Despite the fact that they're enshrined in law, even in the UK, 
where animal welfare is an awful lot better in, than in many countries, even in the UK, animal welfare is not brilliant. It really is not brilliant. The chicken, the roast chicken that we might sit down to eat, you know, if you look at it, the way many chickens are reared, it is astonishing. We've bred chickens to grow at a phenomenal rate. So within just a few weeks, within about six weeks, they resemble an adult bird. They grow so fast that their legs really don't have the strength to support them properly. They're often reared in conditions where they are massively overcrowded. They'll often end up with sores or even broken bones before they're slaughtered. Intensive farming, factory farming of all animals is occurring. In many situations, animal welfare really does suffer. Again, do you think that God has no view on that? Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And God saw that it was good. These are part of God's creation. And trust me, I'm not saying that <laughs> we should give up eating meat. I'm not saying that. But if we're called to look at the world through God's eyes, should we be happy that animals suffer in order to put food on our table? And it is possible to find food that is ethically produced. It's possible to find food and to buy meat that has been ethically produced, where the animals have suffered much less or have not suffered. Things like RSPCA Assured Scheme, things like the Red Tractor Scheme, uh, the MSC label for fish, fish being caught in a sustainable way, organic foods. I mean, please don't misunderstand me. I buy stuff and I eat stuff that I shouldn't do, I'm sure. But should we try and make a difference to what we do as consumers? Should we try and look at things through God's eyes? And it's not just the fact that this is a, a luxury and you know that's for people that can afford to go and shop in Waitrose or whatever. You know one of the supermarkets that is best at giving you a choice of this type of food is little. One, one other aspect is the amount of meat that we eat. In the Western world, we are huge consumers of meat. Again, I'm not trying to say to you, you should be vegetarians. I'm not trying to say that. But we are huge consumers of meat. Our diet is based around meat and two veg or whatever. We are huge meat consumers. It's been estimated if every American stopped eating meat, there would be enough grain to feed 1.4 billion people. The amount of meat that we eat in the Western world is unsustainable given the population of the world right now. One hectare of land, which is, I think, about 
roughly about two and a half acres. But one hectare of land can produce 0.3, one third of a ton of beef, or it can produce seven and a half tons of wheat. It's hugely inefficient to produce meat to eat. That doesn't mean we shouldn't eat meat, but it does mean we should think a little bit, maybe about the amount of meat that we eat in terms of global provision of food. What does the Bible say about this? When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. So there is this trend now for what's been called plant-based food. It's not vegetarianism. It's not veganism. It's saying, actually, we should just be trying to cut down a little bit on the amount of meat that we eat eat more plant-based protein because that's more sustainable, because that, that allows everybody in the world to have their fair share of food. These are things we don't often talk about in church, right? These are things, Debbie's smiling there, these are things that our daughter is passionate about. Catherine, our daughter, she'll come home at weekends sometimes, she'll tell us about this stuff because she's passionate about the environment. The environment is part of God's creation. The world is God's creation. And we know all about the, the creation, the fall, the redemption of the world through Jesus. But when we think about redemption of the world, we often simply limit our minds to thinking about redemption of us, redemption of other people in the world. And we forget that God is about redeeming everything. He's about redeeming his whole creation. When Isaiah had the vision of the ultimate redemption and restoration, he talked about a new heaven and a new earth. And in Revelation from John, that revelation that John had, there's a new heaven and a new earth. What happens with the ultimate restoration of everything? We don't know. We don't know. But God's going to restore heaven and earth. The earth is part of God's creation, and it's important to God. The earth and everything in it. See, that song that we sang just before I started speaking, I see your face in every sunrise. We can pick and choose, can't we? We can look at a beautiful sunrise and we can say, oh, I see God in that sunrise. I can worship our creator because look at the beauty of that sunrise. Or maybe we walk past a snowdrop, almost walk past it without noticing, and we might think, you know, do, does God get annoyed with us when we just walk past and don't notice the beauty of his creation? But if we can see God in the beauty of creation because he is the creator God, surely we have to understand what we are doing 
to ruin that creation. And surely part of holy thinking, thinking and seeing things through God's eyes, is to recognize that we have a part to play in restoring his kingdom, in seeing lives transformed, in seeing lives given to Christ, which is just fantastic. And nothing is more important than that. But equally, seeing God's kingdom extended through restoration of his creation, through seeing an end to animal suffering, through looking after the creation that he has entrusted to us. Surely that has to be part of the practical way that we are being called to be holy by God. So this is just a really practical thing. These are a few aspects. And I'm not saying that this stuff is more important than salvation. What I'm saying is with God's eyes... We have a huge picture. We want his kingdom to come now. We are his hands and feet on earth now. And it's not just about saving souls. It's about seeing the restoration of his kingdom. Thinking holy. Holy thinking is about transforming our mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what it is good and acceptable and perfect. Transforming of our minds, renewing the way that we think, is getting ourselves in step with God. It's looking at things with God's eyes and allowing that to change everything that we do. Let's just pray for a second, shall we? Holiness is what you want from me, O Lord. Please, Lord, take my heart and form it. Take my mind and transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours, O Lord, to yours. And Father, just thinking back to those words in that psalm from David, in your light we see light. Father, we want to reflect your glory. Father, we want to bring you honor. Father, we want to be a people that are set apart, that are unique, that bear the unique imprint of you. And Father, we recognize that We can do nothing apart from you. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have made it possible for us to come into your presence, to be transformed, to be filled with your spirit, to allow that spirit to fill every part of our lives. And Father, as we go through this series, talking and thinking about holiness, Father, we want our wills and our minds to be transformed. We want you to come and touch every part of our lives. We want to see the world as you see the world. And we want to be people that go out into the world and transform it 
for your glory. And Father, our prayer and our heart's desire is that we can do that. Father, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you for your transforming power. And Father, help us. Help us to be open to you and to be transformed by you. Amen. So just one final thought. Be holy as I am holy. Our eternal perspective determines our earthly living. Our eternal perspective determines our earthly living. Amen.